All the plagues and pandemics we have had in this world are nothing compared to the AIDS pandemic. Polio, cancer, the Black Plague, an epidemic that came from fleas and rats, and killed nearly half of Europe's population in the 14th century, and even COVID are only a few examples of diseases that left too many without their loved ones. Greater than what separates AIDS from the rest is the primary mode of transmission. If only AIDS had come through nutrition, air, or mice, there would be a chance we could have defeated it by now. Too bad it came via the only thing human beings are least likely to turn down for as long as it shall be offered on this planet, sex. Sex is the number one mode of transmission of HIV, and the next mode of transmission, blood mix-ups, comes a distant second. People have been caught having sex in public spaces, moving cars and with married people, and that goes to show how far an average human being is willing to go for a nice and juicy good time. To be precise, Unprotected vaginal sex is the leading cause of HIV transmission, and anal sex carries a higher risk of infection. When it comes to unprotected sex, a basic rule of thumb is that women who sex with other women, WSW, have the lowest risk, followed by heterosexuals, and then men who sex with other men, MSM. Body fluids contain HIV, and since sex does involve a consensual exchange of body fluids there is a risk of being infected if you decide to go deep fishing or dance on a pogo stick without protection. The risk of HIV transmission is increased in those with other sexually transmitted infections, STIs, especially those that cause the skin of the genitals to break. Any STI can increase the concentration of HIV in the genital secretions, and this will increase the likelihood of an infection if infected genitals come into contact with uninfected genitals. STIs can increase the risk of HIV transmission, hence the need to make sure you treat all STIs, although prevention of getting these STIs is much safer than trying to treat them. Abstinence is the number one way of reducing HIV transmission, but that is a lost cause for many. Kudos to those that still practice this noble exercise of staying away from the dirty deeds at least until marriage to a faithful partner. These are the people that follow the motto, no sex before marriage, and lots of sex after marriage if stuck to a faithful partner. Condoms offer protection from HIV of about 80% and can go up to 96% if used properly. These condoms must be latex condoms without the use of any oil-based lubricants. Oil-based lubricants tend to cause rupture of condoms, use water-based lubricants when needed instead. While this may seem like common sense, proper wearing of the condom is vital to its function in preventing HIV transmission. Wear that condom properly and wear it with pride. However, a double jacket is not recommended at all, despite making sense to some people that wearing two condoms is better than wearing one because they think if one fails you have protection from the other. For starters, it defeats the purpose of wearing a condom because wearing two condoms increases the risk for rupture of not one, but both condoms due to the associated friction between the two condoms. Remember, there is no point in wearing two raincoats when one can do the job, it's just redundant. When both partners are wearing condoms, it defies the reasoning for wearing the condoms as they both will be at a higher risk of rupture. Remember, it's latex condoms and not natural skin condoms that will protect against STIs. Studies have shown that the removal of the foreskin that surrounds a penis, circumcision, could be preventative against transmission of HIV. This is a dream come true for some women that comes with a medical benefit, a double whammy. The theory around this is that after HIV attaches to the penis, the foreskin covers it and protects it, which gives it more time to mature and enter the mucous membrane of the penis. Once the foreskin is removed, the virus has nowhere to hide, it is exposed to the environment and can thus be killed even by room temperature. 
This is a simplified explanation, but hope you get the picture. The topic of when to circumcise a boy remains a social debate that we shall not discuss now. The circumcision we discussed here is only male circumcision. Greater than female circumcision is illegal and wrong. To complete the picture, let us discuss the other modes of HIV transmission. Another common mode of transmission is intravenous drug use, IVDU. IVDU is dangerous because of the sharing of a needle that may be tainted by HIV. It is mainly those with strong drug addictions that are at a higher risk because the addiction is usually stronger than common sense for one not to inject themselves with a sharp object that has blood on it, which may or may not be contaminated. Providing clean needles to addicts is one way to go, but some people see it as a way of promoting the habit. If you cannot provide or get clean needles, you can soak those used needles in a bleach solution, dilute one part bleach to 10 parts water, and soak the used needles to clean them. Not the primary solution, but only a desperate solution to deal with an addiction. Blood transfusion has been another mode of passing on this deadly virus, but several advances have been made in this field of hematology. Several ways to rid the blood off any contaminants are now available even for blood from HIV-positive donors. This is still a subject of debate, but there really is no reason why men who have sex with other men, MSM, should not be allowed to donate blood, which used to be the case all around the world. Speaking of MSM, there is a treatment called pre-exposure prophylaxis, PREP, that has been designed for high-risk groups like MSM. HIV-negative individuals are given a combination of antiretroviral medication, ARVs, as an attempt to prevent future HIV infection, but only when the medication is taken as directed by their doctors. It is much like taking antimalarial medication before going to a region where malaria is endemic. Too early to tell if this would be an effective way to combat HIV. Healthcare workers are at the front line of many infections, so universal precautions are always taken. In cases where the suspicion of HIV transmission is very high, that is, a needle prick from an HIV-positive patient, a surgical error, or rape, non-healthcare workers, treatment has to be started within 72 hours of the assumed infection, and continued for at least 28 days and go on up to 6 months in order to prevent HIV dominating the immune system. In most cases, HIV infection is not established after such a treatment, and this is called post-exposure prophylaxis, PEP. These are ways that people can use to make rational decisions and are all practical, but only divine intervention will help some learn to wrap it up before swimming in the deep oceans. Uh-huh.